It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. It is the Locked On Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Today, we're going to address something that I talked about on Twitter yesterday as one of two conversations I think we're going to have, and that's this weird equivalency that's happening that says Justin Herbert's just as good of a prospect as Joe Burrow, and the Bengals should trade back, draft Herbert as if there's some guarantee he'll be there at five, and accumulate picks. There's this other narrative that's starting to emerge that maybe Burrow isn't that good or that he's not going to be the guy to push the Bengals over the hump. And yes, there are things that could happen between now and draft day that change Burrow's draft status. But for now, we're going to talk about those narratives and really dissect them. Then we're going to talk about the national championship game coming up. There are a lot of players to watch in that game, mostly Joe Burrow. And then we've got wildcard weekend results to review, and we're recording this on Sunday morning, so we will get to the two games from Saturday. Sentiment that's been visible on Twitter and in Jeff Hobson's mailbags on Bengals.com continues to be present in the dialogue around the first overall draft pick, with two questions in Jeff Hobson's most recent mailbag asking, why don't the Bengals just trade back and draft Justin Herbert? Why don't they just wait and see what's going to happen to Joe Burrow's draft stock between now and the draft? And today's lead story is going to nip those ideas at the bud. So the first part of this is deciding if Joe Burrow is worth the number one pick. That's the first objective when you own that selection. Who is worth this pick? You may come up with two, three, four guys that are worth that pick that you're going to bring in and really do your homework on. So the first, that's the, the first task. And I think every evaluator to this point whether you're watching film, you're looking at the numbers, the analytics, talking about him personally, his character, uh, his development, all say he's worth the pick. Everything completely says it. it. I think the only remaining questions are how good is his offense? Is he a product of his offense? And does he have the raw talent that you would typically like to take with the number one pick? I think the more you watch him and the more you see him create plays, that quickly fades away. I think anybody's still questioning it hasn't seen Joe Burrow enough. If you're still questioning it, watch him, and you probably will on Monday night. I think the other part is, 
in a trade back scenario, and even even entertaining the trading option is because you probably feel like this team needs a lot of pieces. And I think everyone would agree with that. But you have to decide next on the second phase of quarterbacks, the second tier. Is Justin Herbert or Tua Tungvaloa your guy? Can you are, are you evaluating them and putting them in the same tier as Joe Burrow? And if you are, with Tua's injury history, with Justin Herbert's lack of development and big game moments and really all the little skills that you will really take for granted, the pocket presence, the accuracy, anticipation, touch, everything that Burrow has in spades that Herbert lacks, but Herbert has a better arm, you have to reconcile that and say, okay, that difference in level of quarterback is worth what? A second and third rounder. We get to add an extra second round tight end, not to make jokes on Drew Sample, but maybe you get a linebacker, maybe you get a defensive lineman, maybe you get a corner. Is that worth it in taking that next bet at quarterback? And for me, I definitely don't think it is. I think it starts and ends with Joe Burrow's worth the pick, and it ends there. Because if he is, you don't mess around with it. You take the best chance you you can have at quarterback, and you go from there. Yeah, I think the difference between the prospect levels is something that maybe isn't well understood yet. And I'm assuming that the people that are asking these questions that are saying Joe Burrow's stock is going to fall because it's only been rising weren't paying attention, weren't watching him play quarterback this year because to me that means they've just seen out of nowhere this guy named Joe Burrow being linked to the Bengals now that the season's over. They're looking at the draft and they're saying, oh, this guy came out of nowhere. Where if you kind of watch the season, you see the slow build the ascension of his skill. And and that was all in the first six, seven weeks of the college football season. And then it was, okay, can he answer the tests against Alabama, against mm. Florida, against Auburn, against yep. whoever they play in the college football playoff? He has one more test. If you haven't been convinced by him beating all of the SEC defenses this year against Clemson coming up tomorrow. He gets to play against another great quarterback on the other side, a really good defense coached by an organization that has been to this championship game consistently. Dabo Swinney has a good group over in Clemson. So there's one more test if you need one more test. And I highly encourage anyone that still thinks Justin Herbert is on the same level as Joe Burrow or thinks that Joe Burrow is a product of media hype just goes and watches the game. Go back and watch the number four team in the country in Oklahoma or just go watch the Alabama game and see that all the tools, all the pieces are there for Joe Burrow. And if you need a big arm that can't play quarterback versus an arm that plays a quarterback that is on a really good brain for quarterback, well, I'm not sure there's much else we can say. So we've got a lot more to get to with the national championship game coming up in the wildcard weekend to review. But before that, you hear everybody talking about Peloton, right, Joe? And you looked at that. Those bikes are incredibly expensive. So let's talk about this alternative, Echelon Fit. To get fit in 2020, you don't have to join a gym or pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone, busy moms and dads, first responders, elite athletes, whatever your activity level. They've got bikes. They've got a rowing machine coming out. They've got an in-home personal trainer product that will give you workout instructions just from your wall. 
So head over to echelonfit.com to check out their full inventory and get a free iPad. For a limited time, you'll get complete details of this exclusive offer. Go check them out. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash L-O-N-F-L. That'll take you to the special offer page. That's echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-F-L. Echelon, it's your time. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Big postseason game for the Bengals on Monday night as LSU takes on Clemson in the national championship game for college football. And I think a lot of Bengals fans are still really into the ride of LSU in this postseason and watching Joe Burrow and getting geared up and ready for that eventual pick in April. But one more game to go. So we're going to spend some time to talk about that and project it a little bit, our hopes and what we'd like to see. And obviously, I think health is the um, number one thing. Let's get them out of there. But obviously, for the few doubters still or the the people outside the bubble that are the few strays that aren't totally in on Joe Burrow to the Bengals if he goes out there and plays the way he did all year against a defense that that is legitimately really really good for Clemson um, I and I think this can be like a game that's in the 20s which is crazy for LSU to, to even put up but if he goes out there and performs well I think he's gonna win over those last few stragglers and then I guess we can see what happens if he comes to the senior bowl It's going to be interesting, right? Because this is going to be a lot of Bengals fans' first exposure to Joe Burrow, and it's going to be against a defense that might be the first one to slow down the LSU offense all year. On the other hand, maybe it'll be like the Alabama, although Alabama doesn't have a great defense this year. No. So the the worst he faced on defense this year, Auburn, Florida, they still scored points in those games. And he still looked good. Clemson's defense probably a little bit better. Then those teams, Ohio State's defense would have been the same same thing. There's just mm-hmm. really good discipline, some freak athletes, of course, when you get to this level. And I think the biggest thing to watch for all Bengals fans is how is Joe Burrow going to do in the biggest stage against the biggest competition, the most experienced Although Nick Saban's been there a lot too, but Dabo Swinney's track record at this point, hard to argue. And going against that sort of preparation is a big test, even for a guy as good as Joe Burrow. And then, in this game, you get the juxtaposition of Burrow with Trevor Lawrence on the other side. 
That's exactly where I was going to go next, Jake. And seeing somebody that everyone is, he's Trevor Lawrence is the Andrew Luck, right? He's the guy that's like, oh, he's going to be the first overall pick whenever he's eligible or decides to leave Clemson. And this started as a freshman when he goes to the national championship and knocks off Alabama last year. You see that, you see his talent, you see his ability, um, the likable personality, the clean cut look, every all of that is, you know, leading to him being that number one pick more than likely in 2021 if he comes out. But seeing Joe Burrow and his meteoric rise and coming out of nowhere is the complete opposite in terms of story. But at the same time, he's going to be the first pick also, we presume. I think it's pretty clear. Uh, So pitting these two against each other and seeing them back to back is going to add a lot of contrast to each other. Because I think the, the guy that everyone assumes is going to be the number one pick in 2021 in Lawrence has all the talent and ability. And I think that's the 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 root of the questions for Burrow. So if he on the other side completely doesn't compare, right? Just from a physical standpoint to to Lawrence and Lawrence making plays that just or throws that you just see Burrow cannot make and, and let's say Clemson shuts him down. I think that'll raise some questions about, you know, if they're both in the draft, where would you go? Because I do think it's still a debate, but I think people would lean towards Lawrence. My point is if Burrow plays the way he has played and continues to just create plays and create magic. And the arm strength is no issue at all in his game. And he's a better athlete and a better thrower and a deep ball thrower than anyone expects. And he just outpaces Lawrence as he has all year. I think, again, people will come away and say, okay, the arm strength thing, all that isn't an issue. If we look back the last 20 years, the NFL game dominated by guys without strong arms when in uh, Brady, Breeze, and Manning. I think people, the last few people will be off that. Yeah, we talked about this when we weren't recording. When's the last time there was a quarterback with a giant arm that couldn't create off script or wasn't known for his creativity or didn't have the speed, was a really good quarterback in the NFL? And because you're talking about Herbert, because from the first segment, as we kind of compared those two, Normally when these guys have the really cannon arms, the Pat Mahomes, the Aaron Rodgers, right, the MVP type guys that everyone drools over, I want one too. They are also fantastic off script. Something breaks down, these guys are creators. They make things happen. And that's right, mentally both extremely smart. For Burrow, he has both of those things without the arm. But as a Justin Herbert, he is not a creator off script. I think Trevor Lawrence is a creator off script, though. Oh, yeah. If you watch the game versus Ohio State, he had to take over a couple times with his legs. And it was, to me, the most impressive thing he did all game was when he had to take over and make plays happen. Trevor Lawrence, like you said, is the next Andrew Luck-level prospect. And I, I don't think anyone is here to dispute that. And I wasn't bringing that up to talk about him. But I'm just saying, generally speaking, yes, you get the arm. It's a bonus. You get the crazy Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers throws. But you look at quarterbacks, like you said, that have been successful in this league for a long time. You can even talk about Ben Roethlisberger in this list, right? He doesn't Off have script. it. And he doesn't have an incredible arm. He has a good arm, but it's not It's not an Aaron Rodgers arm. It's not what makes him special, though. What makes right. him special is he goes off script. And, and right? it's hard How to bring How many times down. he buy time. Yeah, exactly. His pocket presence, his ability to extend plays, make things happen down the field is how he's always beaten the Bengals. And so that's when we're excited by Joe Burrow. It's it's those traits. It's the incredible accuracy, the pocket manipulation, the yeah. extending plays, the, the creativity. Mm-hmm. And then the legs are a real threat. And just because he's a white guy, people want to call it sneaky athleticism. Right. 
and he's just an athlete. We'll see how he runs at the combine, but there's some other really good players in this game besides the quarterbacks. The top of the list is Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker from Clemson, who will be the first linebacker picked in the 2020 NFL draft, unless something crazy happens. A freak, man. And then the next few guys that are really good in this game, or the next two anyway, and I'm looking at PFF's list of the top 25 players in this game, and I think I agree with the list so far. Derek Stingley Jr., the true freshman for LSU. And if you don't watch much college football, Derek Stingley Jr. is one of the best corners in the country this year, if not the best corner in in, in college football this year. And he's a true freshman doing it. He's the best I've seen since Jalen Ramsey and Patrick Peterson. You know, that few years there where those guys went in the top five to six range. Uh, he's going to be a top five pick eventually. And you may say, well, Denzel Ward was. Yeah, uh, we're talking ball skills that are just unmatched with that size and athleticism and intelligence already as a freshman. Stingley is fantastic. And you can point to the game against Alabama if you watch that one. Not his best work, but since that game, he's allowed 10 catches on 33 targets for just 96 yards. It's insane. Crazy. Just absolutely insane lockdown production from a corner. Then Jamar Chase, of course, the underclassman wide receiver for LSU, the Belitnikov Award winner, the best wide receiver in the country. Did you know that he tied for the lead in the country at 18 touchdowns with his teammate Justin Jefferson? That's so good. He threw 60 touchdowns, so I guess those guys accounting for two-thirds of them make a lot of sense. Yeah, do you know who his quarterback is, Joe? Who would that be? I think his name's Burox. Buriox? I, I can't this, pronounce it. Oh, because you're trying to spell it in LSU Cajun. Yeah, there that's you go. That's the X you're doing. But uh, that's going to lead to questions of, isn't he just surrounded with premium talent? These guys are fantastic. And, well, that's typically how it goes when your quarterback is great. The receivers are going to look great, right? And it's not like he's going to come to the NFL and suddenly be throwing to Alex Erickson and Damian Willis. Oh, wait. Shit. No, Maybe wait. Will. <laughs> there's AJ Green and Auden Tate and, and Tyler Boyd and John Ross on this team. And maybe they won't all get hurt besides Tyler Boyd again. But some other really good players in this game, too. And we're running out of time to talk about it. So T. Higgins, excellent oh, yeah. receiver for Clemson. Travis Etienne, one of the best running backs in the country for Clemson. Justin Jefferson. And at this point, we're talking second round. When you get down to the eighth best player in this game, you're talking second round, probably kind of player in Justin Jefferson. Christian Fulton, LSU's other corner. He's probably a first round corner. And I don't know how to say his name. Kalevon Chasen, the edge player for LSU. Go oh, look yes, at, yes, yes. Go yes. look at the Draft Network guy's Twitter page. There's a insane video of him just bending, bending. to be parallel with the earth. Almost too far, right? Like he gets he so low falls. to the ground. Yeah, it, and but that's the the elite guys can do that. It looks like Dwight Freeney pass rushing. And then just some other names to talk about here because they're NFL draft prospects. Grant Delpit, who was thought to be the best safety in college football, didn't quite have such a great year, but still most likely a first-round pick. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who's mm-hmm. elevated his draft stock in, in a huge way this season. Looks like Murray Jones-Drew out there, right? He and and the receiving ability, sure. Is Sproles this, and Maurice Jones drew yeah. next. Had had a baby. I want that baby. Short, not small. And AJ Terrell, who we took, I think, last week in mock draft, mock draft Monday, the, the corner from Clemson. Then some other underclassmen too. 
Justin Ross, a linebacker in this year's class, Patrick Queen. A lot of guys to watch in this game. It's full of talent. It's going to be fun, not only from the Burrow perspective, but there is a lot of players here. And Bengals have very often drafted multiple players from the same school in the same year. So I think there's a good chance if they take Burrow, we got another LSU guy coming at some point. Wouldn't hate that. Had some really interesting pro football this weekend as well. We won't get to talk about the Sunday games because we're recording before them, but we will talk about the Saturday games. We'll come back for the Sunday games tomorrow. But first, Joe, let's remind the people about our returning sponsor for the third time this season, Abco Safety, the safety distributor from Cincinnati, partnered with 3M to sponsor the podcast. If you or your company purchase safety equipment, As we've told you to in the past, give them a call because they will save you money on your safety budget and they have some pretty sweet stuff, right, Joe, on abcosafety.com. What are you looking at today? They have everything and they have whether it's personal safety or it's workplace safety, food safety, or just things you need. And I I always like this stuff, whether it's uh, personal safety for running in dark areas, reflective gear, or, you know, going walking the dog at night. I also like the the kit for your car if your car breaks down on the side i think everyone should have one of those in their trunk i got one of those for a birthday once from a caring aunt so thanks aunt susan go check out their website www.abcosafety.com keep in mind those are retail prices they will have corporate pricing for you as their customer if you are a corporate customer give them a call 513-672-1818 mention locked on bengals so they know you came from the podcast that's 513 513- Six seven two, one eight one eight. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go. Not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got ten stadiums, fifteen MLB teams, seventy-five degree temperatures. All ten stadiums are in the Greater Phoenix area, within fifty miles. Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe, we've talked about it before, you're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there, go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year, and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona. Take yourself a little spring break. Plan your getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. Playoff football is a different animal. I think a lot of the debate and discussion going on on the internet after what I expected were two teams that like to keep it on the ground won the game. But when you look at it, all four teams that were in this ma- this Saturday's games like to run the football. We can't say the Vikings and Delvin Cook didn't do what they were supposed to do. We can't say the number one rushing team in the league, the Ravens, didn't do what they were supposed to do. So I think resetting that and looking at the first game, because I think this this weekend is going to bring up a lot of discussion and a lot of topic. It already has. You see people on Twitter the next morning saying um, there's many ways to win in the playoffs, which is very true. But the first game. The Niners and the Vikings, Niners controlled it throughout, as expected. They were the best team in the NFC for the entire year. They had a couple slip-ups, but for the most part, were a really, really dominant team. And I think they're a fun story anyways. They were coaching the Senior Bowl last year. They were a bad team. They get Jimmy G healthy for the entire year, and all of a sudden, they look like they should make their way to the Super Bowl. 
let's see what happens in the next week's game. But they'll have the home field game. I think just them being able to run it, there was, I think, four drives where they scored where Jimmy G threw the ball maybe one time on those drives. They just consistently kept running the ball, kept running out of those different looks so many times. When you watch it, it was a, it was a clinic for outside zone with a fullback, which is something you just don't see in the league. And I think it's it's going to be something a lot of teams try to copy these games are important for that reason, right? When the Rams are winning in the playoffs, everyone's like, we got to do what the Rams are doing. And then when the, the – right now it's going to be the 49ers. When they're winning, people are going to say, we got to do what the 49ers are doing. And there's going to be a lot of copycatting from that. I can't wait to ask the Bengals and Zach Taylor if they uh, what they think about that at the Senior Bowl this year. And you get to ask those questions directly. But I was watching the first couple drives of this game before I had to head out, and I wrote on Twitter, I want a Kyle Shanahan. And oh, yeah. I just hope that Zach Taylor can grow into that role. He, There's no reason he can't, right? He's a young guy, very similar situation coming into Kyle Shanahan, who had two very bad years before he finally got his quarterback, got his quarterback healthy, and they had a run this year. Just looking at their grades this year. This year, San Francisco's defense, second highest PFF grade in the league. Offense, second highest PFF grade in the league. Last Good. year, both of those defense was actually 32nd. Offense near the bottom, too. They get a quarterback. They sign Quan Alexander. They turn it around. Draft Joe, Joey Bosa also. Which or they Nick, could do. Nick Bosa, I'm sorry. Which they could do because they had a quarterback. Sure, yeah. And they don't even have the luxury of having a quarterback on a rookie deal. So using the 49ers as a similar team, they're 4-12 and last year, 13-3 and this year in the NFC Championship game. And this is just one year removed from 4-12 and 12 and coaching the Senior Bowl. So that just goes to show you this doesn't have to be a multi-year rebuild if the Bengals can do it the right way. And that means necessarily spending some money and hitting on your draft picks, of course. That's exactly where I was going to go. I was going to shout out one of my favorite players growing up, John Lynch, who's their GM now. And when you start talking about Quan Alexander... Richard Sherman. I mean, these are big free agent pickups. These are necessary moves if you want to emulate what the 49ers are doing. They trade for Emmanuel Sanders at the deadline. These are things that good teams do. They signed a host of running backs, Tevin Coleman being one. Now, I'm not for spending that money at running back, but they did. Uh, Point being is they weren't afraid to go out and make moves and get big name players. Coleman was hurt for much of the year. Is not the reason this team is in the playoffs, but getting Emmanuel Sanders is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. For a team that has George Kittle and a great tight end, they didn't have a whole lot at wide receiver. And Emmanuel Sanders added a lot. You watch the first drive of this game, and Minnesota came out saying, you're not going to run the ball on us. And they didn't. They right. Jimmy Garoppolo absolutely dissected the Minnesota defense on that first drive of the game. Big chunk plays in the passing game. Easy touchdown. And that's why I wanted Kyle Shanahan, because he's identifying these mismatches, the way to attack opposing defenses and it seems like he's a step ahead every single game of this year and obviously I had three losses but just he's on a different level and I hope Zach Taylor can get there and just for a minute on the Vikings with Mike Zimmer tough for him to lose another playoff game uh, and their coordinator is being hired by the Browns Kevin Stefanski okay whatever that's the Browns making a pretty typical Browns move uh, on the other hand I think just final note on the Vikings they need to get an offensive line that's much better. I think if there's a parallel there with the Bengals, the Vikings have 
tried to get better players on the O-line. It just has not worked out. They got completely dominated by a very deep and talented 49ers defensive line. The Browns, on that note, are also hiring a former executive to be their GM. He was there from 2016 to 2018, Andrew Barry, who for the last year was the vice president of football operations for Philadelphia, is going to Cleveland now. So they get Stefanski from the divisional game loser, Minnesota Vikings. There's some speculation that Mike Zimmer held him back. So that'll be interesting to see how Stefanski plays out in Cleveland. But they bring back 2016 to 2018 executive who was there under Sashi Brown, who was there for a year under John Dorsey. They get another coach who's an offensive coach who's going to call plays because I'm assuming Stefanski, who was PFF's fourth rated play caller in 2019. They also grade play callers. He's going to be the head coach. I assume he's also going to be calling plays if he's that good of a play caller. And that's going to be three mm-hmm. coaches in a row. Hugh Jackson, uh, whoever was there this year, Kitchens, Freddie and, Kitchens. And, and now Stefanski, who are going to be calling the plays for the Browns. And that has not worked out. I bet Josh McDaniels would have called his plays also. So I, I don't, you know, for me, I don't mind that. And I just think it's funny. It is funny. It's funny because they trend to do the same things over and over again in Cleveland. And it was also reported by Albert Breer that, Josh McDaniels was demanding sweeping organizational change, and then they don't hire Josh McDaniels. So big, big point, right? You know, I, I mean, Cleveland might actually—they're certainly building a case to rival the Bengals' ownership for the bottom right. ranks in the league, and Dan Snyder as well. But I wanted to also make one other note because at the beginning of this, you mentioned oh, running in the playoffs wins. And I just wanted to go look at PFF's running grades for the season. Yeah. To see what teams were at the top. So Dallas at the top, they mm. didn't make the playoffs. Cleveland mm. second, they're a disaster. Mm. Baltimore third, well, they just lost because of turnovers, fourth downs. We talked about, well, we'll talk about some of those reasons. Yeah. Houston yeah. Texans fourth, they play tonight. Tennessee Titans fifth, they're still going. 49ers sixth, they're still going. But then Oakland, Arizona, you know, the Colts up here. A bunch of teams, it's just a mixed bag, right? And those teams that are still going in the playoffs, by the way, also have really good grades in the passing game. I was going to transition to the Ravens-Titans yeah. game, and I guess this is part of it. But I think the the thing that gets lost in the focus of playoff games is the finality of it all, if that makes sense. it's You do whatever it takes to win each individual play, each situation scenario, and then ultimately the game. It's different than regular season football, not because the teams are better, but that is the case. The intensity is higher. That is the case also. But it is during regular season, you may play some guys. You may use some guys. You may do some things as you're developing your team to get to that final goal. It's it's all development process and evaluation process during the season, even for good teams. But once you get into the playoffs, there's none of that, right? The guys are going to play through things. You're going to use your best plays. You're going to do everything you can to win that opportunity in that game at that moment. So I think that's why we get sometimes mixed results or we see these things that just don't, that defy normal logic because I think the game changes just a little bit. And it's heavily game script dependent, right? Tennessee, yep. their first two drives gets two huge passing touchdowns. They're up 14-0. Yep. And they have this absolute freak in Derrick Henry Mutant. And they just lean on him. Yeah, he, he is a freak. He's bigger and stronger and faster than almost anyone on the field. But 
talking about the Ravens game, and I, there's a lot of discussion on Jackson, especially going now 0-2 in the playoffs as a rookie and, and second-year guy, and he's not even 23 years old yet. But when I look at this, this game and the way it went, I think the Ravens, Gordon McGinnis on, on Twitter, PFF Gordon, said this, and I agree completely. You play this game 10 times, I think the Ravens win seven of them because they called the right game until the game got out of hand. They go for it on fourth down a couple times. Don't get it. For a team that went for it on fourth down all year long and had a high success rate, fourth and one this year, they're eight for eight. They fell twice. That just doesn't happen. That's not supposed to happen. If you run it back again, they more than likely convert on those next two times. Those are turnovers in Titans territory. And at the 50, that led to a touchdown pass right off of that. Uh, great play, great throw by Tannehill and that, that receiver number 14, great catch. But the interception, as the Ravens are driving on their first drive, they look like they're going to go in and put seven right on it. And the ball tips off of Mark Andrews' hands, gets intercepted. There were just, it, it compiled really quickly until this game allowed the Titans to do what they wanted to do. The Ravens' weakness was their run defense. For all their big defensive tackles, you could run it on them. And this game quickly got into the situation where Tannehill didn't have to throw the ball at all. Completed, what, seven passes, I believe? He still two, threw two touchdowns. Derrick Henry threw a touchdown, and Tannehill ran for a TD. But point being is they kept it out of the Ravens' hands for the rest of the game. And it just left up with, you could see the weaknesses of this Ravens offense. And everyone said, let's see him down by a big point. Let's see what happens. And I don't think that's an indictment of Jackson. I started to really quickly, and I said this in the, in the second quarter, the Ravens don't have the weapons. They don't have the receivers to come back from a game like this. You have a rookie Hollywood Brown who played well, but is definitely still inconsistent and raw in a lot of phases. He's not your every down go-to guy. He may be in two years or so, but they had nobody else, and they had seven drop passes. Mark Andrews was in and out of the lineup. Nick Boyle was in and out of the lineup. Uh, they couldn't lean on Mark Ingram, so you're taking one of their best players all year off the off the field. For me, this was exactly how you beat the Ravens, but it's not replica, replicable. You can't keep doing that because they're going to convert on fourth down. Jackson isn't going to turn the ball over because he hasn't all year. So the Titans are lucky to get out of it. Much credit to the Titans, though. I don't want to go and just say it's all about the Ravens because the Titans' defense is playing fantastic. Uh, they're playing really, really well for a team that's got, from on paper, I think uh, uh, more than a few holes or at least areas I'd like to attack them. That defense is playing great, and Tannehill is playing fantastic, even though he hasn't in the playoffs yet. And they're just a fun team to watch. They got four sacks on Lamar Jackson who has protected great all year. The Titans haven't produced pressure, but they were incredibly disciplined in their rush lanes. They got good spying on the QB from their linebackers. They were missing their fastest linebacker in that game. Mm -hmm. They got good play from the secondary. And they were held. Lamar Jackson wasn't great, but he was still really good. Like he made mistakes. The, The interception to Kenny Vaccaro, huge mistake. And yep. he threw some balls behind. The ball wasn't coming out of his hand clean. But he still ran the ball for 143 yards. He had 500 total yards. He had 365 passing yards. And he needed 59 passes to do it. But, you know, that's not the game script. The game script involves a lot of Mark Ingram. And, you know, controlling the game. And, and they couldn't do it because they got behind early. They go 0 for 4 on fourth downs. Yeah, the the last time a team had more than 500 yards of offense and scored 12 or less points, it's happened twice in the modern era since the merger. One of them was Tampa Bay last year. They had 501 yards of offense and scored three points. The one before that was in 1986. 
another time it happened that was kind of in the same ballpark involved the Bengals. The Bengals beat the Saints and Drew Brees a few years ago when Brees and the Saints went over 500 yards of offense, scored only 16 points in a 16-31 loss. The Bengals won that game. So what the Ravens did yesterday has not happened in the modern era of NFL. You right. don't get that much offensive production and score just 12 points. The, the, the Titans had what? 290 yards of offense? You basically had seven turnovers from the Ravens. Four fourth-down yeah. conversions, two interceptions, and a fumble. Yep. The, you are not going to win. The Titans didn't. We're never in a situation to turn the ball over. You're not going to win seven turnovers to zero and expect to even be close in that game. If You look at the, you can look at their fourth-downs in the red zones only on the Ravens, and you'll know who won that game. And it's all basically, if they would have converted on a couple of those, it's a completely different. It's just, to, for me, I think there's going to be a lot of talk and a lot of dissecting of what happened with the Ravens this year, and maybe they're not as good as we expect. That'd be a good thing for Bengals fans, but I don't think that's the case. I think that would be a fool's opinion to say they're not going to run back next year and just do the same exact thing again, or Jackson's not going to be better. He lost in the playoffs last year. He came back and won MVP. This stuff kind of burns at him. You can see by the way he responds. I wouldn't be, if, be surprised if he came back. They need to get him weapons at receiver and maybe even some offensive line help. Yeah, the offensive line had been great for the Ravens all year. It was a major letdown. That's a big reason they lost that and, game, too, because the Titans won on both sides protect. of the ball. We see it with the Bengals. Until you got to drop back and throw the ball, your offensive yeah. line is two different teams at that point. It, what are they when you're winning the game, and what are they when you have to throw? And defenses this in recent history are just dominating the, the must-throw situations. So some good lessons there for the Bengals, some implications for AFC North rivals, a whole lot more to talk about. We're going to talk about some other trends in the playoffs this week. We're going to get to mock draft Monday tomorrow, but Jordan Reed had a really interesting tweet about athleticism at the linebacker position. All these teams in the playoffs right now have it. San Francisco, Quan Alexander, Dre Greenlaw, Seattle with Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, Houston with Zach Cunningham, Bernardrick McKinney, there's just a lot of athleticism in the second level for teams that are succeeding in the playoffs. And you look at the Ravens, on the other hand, they were exposed at linebacker. So Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that trend as well, because last year before the draft, we kind of dismissed the value of the off-ball linebacker, maybe a little bit more than we should have. We'll talk about the sides to that talk Mm -hmm. this week. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wild-card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020 and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.